Starting a company is easy. Growing a company is harder. But selling your company? That's a whole different story. In The Big Exit Show, we lift the curtain of secrecy around selling businesses by learning from ambitious and successful founders who have been on this roller coaster. Our hosts, venture capital investors Johan van Mill, the founding and manager partner of Peep, and Anke Hauskis, the founding and managing partner of NP Hard, will help you on this exciting journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of The Big Exit Show. This time we have Patrick Luffler. He is the CEO and founder of uh, GIF, and which has been acquired by the Upgroup, a cooperative from French. And, and what's funny is that Patrick uh, was six, 17 years old, sorry, and he was also a part of the national snowboarding team. And also during his university time, he owned a bar. And also, I think what's interesting to know indeed that he's, he's also to take photos, right? Take pictures. So he's a, he's a pretty active person also. So welcome on the show, Patrick. Thank you very much for having me and thank you for digging this deep into things I'm normally not talking so much about. <laughs> Wait, we're going to spend we a lot of time on more, so, oh, my uh, <laughs> yeah. oh my god. Hold your horses. Oh yeah. Hey, so no, Patrick, can you give us uh, <laughs> Can you can you give us a short intro on GIF please for the listener? Yeah, GIF was founded 2010 already and we started out as a B2C company. We sold vouchers, gift cards that were redeemable everywhere. And this was not so very successful. We can dive deeper into this as well later on. And then we pivoted to B2B and now we are selling prepaid credit cards to businesses and they give those cards to their employees for tax fringe benefits. It's tax fringe benefits for employees is very common in all the countries, but in Germany and in all the countries, it's always super specific. In Germany, you can top up these cards with 50 euros per employee per month, and then it's completely tax-free. And this is very nice that the elevator pitch is that you have with you today your keys, probably your phone and your wallet, maybe. And in the wallet, you then have a card from your employer, and this is you can use it more or less anywhere you want. And this is highly rewarding and makes a good connection with the company. And we have to give some figures. We have around now 600,000 active users in Germany and we grow with maybe 15,000 new users every month. So, and it's spread over 20,000 companies. So our clients are the companies. So you can just to give you a, a figure and we are 50 people now. So okay. a small company dealing with lots of clients and end users, which is only possible because it's digital. Oh, I'm, I'm stopping now. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise you don't have any questions. <laughs> it does show how quick the company has been growing because even on your website for preparation uh, of this interview, yeah. we saw it was like 90,000 customers and 450,000 cardholders. Yeah. So now you're saying like it's, if you're probably at 15,000 cardholders. We are always a month. little bit late in updating the website. So, yeah, but that's correct. It's growing super fast, which is nice. And you started the company not by yourself, but with a co-founder? Oh, yeah, exactly. I wrote this down immediately when you said founder of the company. No, I'm a co-founder and I'm so happy that we were three founders. One uh, got, it was very complicated and a very hard journey. So he, we lost him. 
which was also not a very nice process. But the other one, Alex, he's still here. And that's a funny story because the one who left, Christoph, was, he was our middleman between Alex and me because when Alex and myself met, we agreed that we would never work together longer than six weeks. I mean, this was 2010. So we are working now for 13 years together. And yeah, Alex is a co-founder. He's our CTO and we share some values. We are still not friends, I would say, but I love working with Alex. Can we double click on this? Because um, often, I think it's like one out of three companies, they end up not working because of a co-founder split. In your case, you started with three, then with two, you're saying you're not really friends, but you love working together. Yeah. and I would love to learn more Yeah, how that process has been going for you. Yeah. Actually, this is now a little part of the bigger picture. Alex and myself, and fortunately also the rest of the management team, we are a management team of five. We totally believe and live in working digitally. This means you need super high discipline because Alex from the beginning already in 2010, he told us, if you write me an email from an internal colleague, I'll delete it. I don't answer to emails. Emails is a communication tool for ex external stuff. For internals, we have a project management tool because if you write me an email, you don't know what's happening with it. Did he read it? Did he forward it to someone else? This gets lost. And by using a project management tool, I always can see what's going on. It can be given back to me and stuff like this. So yeah, I always have to smile when people start to use Slack or something and then say, oh, now we are a digital company. Oh no, <laughs> being a real digital company takes so much more and it's it's such a huge discipline you have to show up for every day and to be really precise with the communication if you do it like that. So these core values or this core value of working digitally, this is actually what Alex and myself unites for a very long time now. So it's the, to answer your question, to have a good co-founding culture one or two core values need to totally align and you shouldn't be homogenic. So another just MBA guy like me, that's boring, but Alex is so different. As I said, he's a CTO. So we, I have still no idea what he's doing and he has no idea what I'm doing. So we have to trust each other, you know, but if I know Anke, what you're doing, I have an idea then I can start to fiddle around with it and that's not good. So by being totally not homogenic, it's a lot more work. Oh, for sure. And it takes a lot more nerves because you're discussing all the time, but in the end, it's so much more successful. Oh, that was again yeah. a very long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 but, but I think both Anke and I realize also as investors, right? That we like to invest in teams which are diverse, right? Yeah. But also, let's say this from the background, because that brings really successful companies forward. Even though you decided, you mentioned also that Christoph left your company, right? It was a painful process. Can you can you share a little bit of the learnings? Because we see that a lot in companies that I recently calculated with on our own peak portfolio, six years after 
our investment, roughly 40% of the founding team changes, right? So we see it also. What, what kind of learnings, Patrick, can you, can you share on that end for founders who are now, let's say, in that phase of maybe changing the founding team? Can you, can you repeat this? 40% of the six year? Of the six years, the founding team changed, which means a new founder can be added, but most of the time, one of the founders left. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For Christoph, it was just, I mean, we were bankrupt two or three times in our history. Oof. And this was, this was just super tough. You know, I mean, personally, I didn't get any cash out of the cash machine anymore. <laughs> And it's so unfair because often when you are a founder, it's, you're not super. Sometimes they are super young, but I was in my thirties. So it's exactly when you start maybe also family and start having kids. When you then, I mean, I had a corporate career before. Now I'm earning again what I've earned 15 years ago. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a, yeah. a long journey and it's not for everybody. No. And I think this is the learning that sometimes it's just. Yeah, it's not for everybody. And it takes some years to, to find out your employee than really a founder. And to say, you, Patrick, if I may, if, if I I'm may 45, I'm 45. No, sorry, that was unfortunately not the question, but how did you, because at a certain point you run into the problem, right? That you see that the founder, let's say relationship is not, not, not as strong as anymore and that the changes are being done. How do you deal with that? Especially if you have your co-founder and you mentioned, right, you had a few bankruptcies probably also, so some tight cash position on that end. How do you decide on that? How do you move forward then? Yes. How do you deal with that? How do you, how you, how do you deal, especially with that founder to, to make him or her leave, right? Uh, he decided to leave. So that was easy on that front, but then because we were working so closely together, we totally Uh, we didn't do it very well because the moment he said, he said he won't leave, I myself should have started to protect the company and should have been clear. Uh, clear is kind. I forgot who said it, but clear is kind is so, it's such an important. And we just said, Oh, you're leaving. Okay. Let's see. And this was a part. It was in a time where we raised another fine round. And this was nearly killing our killing financing round because a leaving the liability and we didn't have a term sheet for this process of his leaving because we didn't think about it, to be honest. So that would be if somebody, if, if you start to discussions that are going in the way or in the direct somebody wants to leave, you have to start to draw a clear term sheet or letter or what for both sides, because I'm still not talking, which is a pity because we were, we missed the opportunity to really defend this leaving process. Yeah. And, and you probably, did you have some leaving agreements in your, let's say contracts, or did you still have to get at that time also? Yeah. Also, one thing I think what we as investors always would like to have is that lever arrangements so that you don't have that hard discussion. It's really hard. Yeah. Especially when it happens so often, like in 40% of the cases. So it should be just as like a standard safe or CLA or term sheet. It should be like a standard. 
Um, Still amazed by this uh, figure, forty percent, and yeah. it's in four of ten companies. Yeah. You have a changing of the founding, but for us, for Christo, Alex, and myself, this was—it uh, sounds so stupid—but this was really an opportunity. So, because you know, Christoph studied at the same university as me, so we were pretty homogenic. And as we already discussed before, by taking one double person out, uh, more responsibility and more action was left for Alex and me. So this this was actually the situation afterwards. Afterwards. <laughs> and one of the things that you just mentioned is um, that you have to be like also well, when there's things are not going according to plan. They have to be uh, without self for a while. And I've been reading our list previous podcasts. And you said, like, if you want to be as successful as we were, you have to do it without a net. It's like, it's all or nothing. Yeah. And the question that came to my head is when a lot of people think like, oh, I want to start a company. I want to be a founder. They romanticize being yeah. a lot. How would you say that you can test the waters? And really make sure that do people understand what they're getting into so you don't have to deal with something like this four years in. Um, is is it something that you just have to experience or do you think it's like you could do these tests or like better basically this founding team? I, I like it's a question, Anke, thanks. Um, the Americans say skin in the game. You really have to have a skin in the game that it gets really... Yeah, it tests the waters, as you said. It's not, yeah, there is no theory. It's only by doing actually. You, you can't know it if you don't do it. Or at least I have no other answer because it's so intense, so different from anything else. Um, oh, yeah, you have to experience it. Yeah. This is an idea, Patrick, because I also had this situation a few times when starting a company. And then I said at that time, let's not discuss now the cap table and the division of the shares and also the contribution. Let's work together for six months and then have the discussion afterwards, right? And we both invest, right? Because then you start working with each other. Can that be a solution from your vision, also your experience? Yeah. And no, because <laughs> that's exactly, if you would ask me whatever I would do differently now, then I would say, make a clear statement in the beginning. It doesn't complicate it, but um, really draw an exact picture installation up front. I mean, you can always change it. If you're small, if you're only three, four people, no problem to change it after six months. But having something beforehand, and you don't have to do it with an oil lawyer, but just just to have your, your clear statement how to to deal with things also when somebody wants to leave oh it makes you so i would say johan please do it differently have yeah. something up front <laughs> that's a clear advice okay <laughs> thanks you mentioned um while you were going from like the co-founder um split up basically that you were also raising money in one of the other articles you mentioned that you pitched over 300 times to find oh investors and you got 12 investors I define able, able to lose as a key learning for me. I would love to dig deeper how that problem brought on board. Ah, yeah, why. it's, it's, 
Really dark deep. You, uh, you. Yeah, we did our homework. We did our homework. <laughs> yeah, very good. And it's all the things that still cause me pain. So this is a very painful podcast. <laughs> it's in the past and laugh about it, laugh about it. Um, yeah, it's skin in the game thing. You know, when, I mean, and myself, we had invested everything we had and already three or four or five years of our life. I mean, if it would have not been successful these years, especially in Germany, Germany failures, so uh, well seen, these would have just been lost. This would have been a thing for our CVs. Our time, all our money, and even more <laughs> was in gift. Yeah. I mean, I pitched 500 times too. If that's what had been needed, because there's no other chance. You have to, to, I mean, I laughed and you know that I said, if you go through hell, keep walking. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, you don't want to stay though. Just keep walking. That's, 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 sorry, no magic sauce or nothing I can share. I would love to have it. It's still, it's just a lot of work and you have to do it. But I think actually, exactly this attitude, I think, defines the people who want to start a company as a nice to have versus for others where they don't think there's an option B. And I think when we talk to founders who are pitching to us, this type of grit, I guess is exactly what I'm looking for. Because then, you know, even if they run out of money, they keep going. Like there's no other option than like, this to the finish line or whatever game is but uh, i guess this is exactly the core of like a governor yeah and it's situational you know i mean some people yeah you're right it's it yeah probably it's it's really probably it's an attitude because i wanted to say maybe it's also situational if you get into this situation and you know there is no other way out than through then maybe so much a characteristic but you just I bad luck that you came into the station <laughs> or stupid enough that you again, because I mean, because I mean, we did it several times. So I mean, how stupid can you be? But okay. That's, that's, that's what we did. <laughs> Patrick, what, what's on the, especially on the fundraising, right? Because you did several rounds also with different investors, right? I think you raised in total, if I understood it correctly, roughly two and a half million euro from yeah. like a red L group of funds, different funds, right? What 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 are what is the key? Because and, and, and also you probably did a few bridge rounds because as you already mentioned, you also ran out of money. That we know as investors it's all about bridging. Then what's the key thing what you can share on that funding process, right? Given the, the, the number of pitches that you did and also the successes you had with that, right? What is I think the key thing what you, you can share with the, the audience? We started as yeah startup owners and we were thinking about yeah we do b2c we do a lot of google ads and then we just watch how the hockey stick growth goes this was a fail <laughs> that's not how it's it's working so we really had to find the objective of turning the company and not being only a money burning growth machine but everything changed 
when we really try to go in the turn of break even, of earning our own money. This gave us laser shops and this was the, yeah, this was the turning point because then we started to, we introduced a, at that time, uh, how was it? Because one of those dashboard tools, every of our employees could see in real time every day how it is going and how far or how close we are really being to this break even point and changed also the fundraising. It was so much easier when we really could show this traction and that it's going into the money earning phase. So I mean, a company. So you can't, you have to invest a lot in tech and this doesn't pay out immediately. So you have to take your time, but at one day you really need to do things together and envision a break even. And what did you do to get there, right? Because um, going to break even can mean either you increase the revenue or you lower the cost, right? Or you pivot the business, right? That's roughly what we see with companies trying to, to, to get to break even, especially yeah. these days, right? As yes. I mentioned before, there's a lot of it that how in general in economy, and especially in VC, of, uh, bridging forever is over. So what's your, what, what, what did you, with your company, with GIF at that time to indeed to go to the break even point, exactly? Excellent. Uh, we more or less did three things. You we first pivoted from B2C to in our minds, boring B2B. But uh, at that time, B2B was also boring. Also for the investors, this changed. Nowadays, you get good investments also for B2B cases. And it was a little bit different. So we pivoted to uh, B2B. We kept continuing to bootstrap me. So have a very exact picture about the costs. Then we really started to increase the revenues. It sounds so... It's sounds so it's exactly those three things. And I think you have to have all three. It's not a choice. You have to your your business model and maybe pivot. Oh, and my God, I'll talk about pivoting in a second. And then you really have to know your costs. And the other thing is you need to sell your product and don't be afraid of prices. I have a very good story. We started to sell the, in the B2B space for seven euros 99 cents. That's what we just thought is a good price. And then we found out, Hey, with this pricing, we can come to break even because we want to incentivize our sales team and stuff like that. And I just thought, Oh, this pricing needs to go in the direction of 20 euros and from day to the next. And we already had customers. We already had a some leads and from one day to the next, we changed from eight to 18 euros 50. What do you think happened? Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. exactly. Uh, we just sold for 18 euros 50. And why did you pick 18 and not 28 or 50 or 15? It, like how did that I mean, I, and I'm not a CFO is also a mistake. In the next life, I would uh, have a very good CFO much earlier. And I did the calculator and I thought, yeah, we, I think that's with this pricing, we can, we can build a, a strong company and be also a good company for our. Yeah. 
Hey, Patrick, you, you mentioned that you, uh, uh, you pivoted your business away from, from B2C to B2B. We've learned, Anker and I both have invested that pivoting a company is really hard, right? Uh, I mean, you can, you really have to shift your company. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit how you made a decision from swifting away to the B2B side? What was the signal from the market? So not the external reasons like the funding, et cetera, but what was from the market which made that you had to change your company to the B? Yeah, it was twofold. Uh, the signals of the market were very clear at that time. We were in the B2C, we were competing with gift cards from H&M or Amazon and their marketing budget is tremendous than ours. So impossible to position ourselves there. Um, and for B2C, you need a strong perform online marketing and so yeah we found out that from the marketing side product would not be competitive and at the same time a client funnily enough who asked us he wanted to have not cut because we were in the b2c business he wanted to have four tickets for his employees and they should be reloadable if he can do that uh, because he wants to load some money that afterwards is tax-free on those cards and we were like what <laughs> and actually then found out that this is possible and then we looked into this and we saw that the competition at that time was very old school and paper-based so disrupting kind of an old school market uh, sounded very intriguing and we thought yeah okay then let's let's to be to be <laughs> and I was, this again was very naive because pivoting a company is um i mean that's uh, we lost all nearly all employees because it's it's just different and we had no idea how it's going <laughs> to be so more or less we built the company uh, from ground up completely new more or less which yeah and when you say, afterwards it's and when you say you lost yeah. uh nearly half uh, like all of the employees did they quit because they wanted to be like a marketeer for consumer or did you have to say like oh we need a different type of skill set so we're gonna let people go both. Hmm. both both and at that time we were only 10 people it's it's not a huge thing and it was uh, in good ways it's just it was an evolution which we totally underestimated. Mm -hmm. So don't underestimate the pivot. That's what I think to say at that point. And during that time when you went through that process, did you call your peers who then went through this like previously or did your uh, investors help you or what were the key things that helped you? Although it was like, still super difficult, but do it in a successful way. Yeah. I mean, you are investors, so... I try to be, uh, be honest. polite. No, we can, no this <laughs> should be honest. And, uh, so bring it on. And we're Dutch, right? Yeah. So we can handle the reckless. Yeah. So we can learn. Okay. <laughs> I mean, most of the investors weren't helpful at all. And how can I say this? There, are some, there were some investors that were trying to help. And it was very painful for them and for us. And when you are in this situation, it's help from the outside sounds good, but it's not always really helping. 
in the end, we had a small group of investors and the other investors also voted for this group, like a small Beirat in German, you would call it. And this in the end was, it was, but I think in the end, this was, we had a, a Friday call and I think in the end, this was helpful to say. What, what was it, uh, Patrick? Uh, I mean, uh, if I may ask and uh, double click on this, what, what would you like to have from investors? Because you mentioned they were really helpful and you pulled them, I think, also to improve communication, probably also, and to have the right people around the table and not every investor. But how could these investors and also we, how could in general help a founder in that? At that time, these investors all um, more or less corporates. They never founded a startup i think what's we had a little always a missing link because they came from corporate companies were super successful and they to apply these management principles us and so we was not the same flight height yeah so what would i want you need people that have really experienced the same super hard things and then and learned and then I think those people could be a much of much better help. It pains me to say that they weren't helpful because they really they took a lot of their time and invested into us. So it would be wrong to say this was not a, a good exercise for everyone. And maybe it also showed us a little bit of thinking. So but in the end somebody who lift through the same things could be a much better help and this is maybe also a good takeaway for the founders listening to it like when you decide to raise external capital to be pretty mindful of who you want on your journey because everybody knows it's never going to be this like linear line and i guess having a good mixture of people who've been or like going through health like you mentioned yourself um might then understanding are better coming around when shit hits the fan which always happens but on the other hand, sometimes like you don't you, you don't you don't have that luxury position to choose. Uh, and in your case, I think when you've been through a, a few pivots and in a few cases where you had to do the bridge, um, it also has like two sides of the right. Yeah, I mean beggars can't be choosers, and if you are in, as you said, if you are in such a position, it's really yeah, it's more of a begging, which is. Yeah, which is not a nice, but anyway. Yeah. Switching, I guess, to like the growth phase, like, um, and, and maybe uh, related to what you mentioned earlier, when you have that dashboard, so people could see, your employees could see you're getting to like break even point and to your point, like that was really like the tipping point. I guess my question is twofold. One is like, how much information did you share with the rest of your team? Because it seems to be you had a pretty trans communication line. On the other hand, how did you manage that growth? Um, because now you have 50 people. Yeah. Curious to learn about that. Um, Andre, this is still a question I really work around because it's such a delicate balance um, because we're super transparent with everything. And we got the feedback as a management team that this sometimes creates insecurity because if you know really every little detail also about the things that don't work so well, some people, they don't, they feel if they 
don't know much. So this is really, you have to find a good balance being super honest, being super transparent, but also protecting your people and keeping some things also away. So this is really a skill you have to develop and to get some experience in. Now we are quite good in it. And to share the key KPIs, that the, the key figures, I think that makes always total sense. And I always speak about the figures because, you know, you can be super visionary, that, but in the end, what's tangible, it's just figures. Hey, this year we want to load 140 millions on cards. This, this sounds so tangible. And then you check on a monthly basis, hey, are we direction or not? You know, so I prefer visions that are tangible and that's for everybody to see. And it's so much easier to identify with. So we still have a dashboard that's available to every employee. And we also have, and each morning those figures uh, get popularized or uh, in this channel. And then and that's you, the yeah, way to go. Maybe like with the old hands where people can ask me anything or how do you uh, work on that? Yeah. We asked how often we want to have all hands. And uh, in the end, we settled on monthly. So people, at least in our company, they, they want to do their work and being alone, that sounds but you know what I mean? And so we have a monthly all hands and, and that's we good. Read, uh, perhaps also going to the, to the exit topic. We, we read in an article that at a certain point that you realized that the company that gift would be too small on the, on the long term. That's also the reason when you decided to look for, for acquisition partner. Um, wonder, let's say the exit process, but especially I was wondering also as a founder, what, what kept you back also to strive for, let's say a bigger company on the long term, because the market that you're in is pretty, pretty big, right? Also, let's say, look at the company who acquired right now, also the size of them. There's a lot of potential. What was the reason for you personally to decide to, to go to the exit process? Again, uh, several effects. What with our cap table, we were kind of in a, in a, you know, because, um, there were some investors that were willing to go with a growth phase and invest and maybe, um, leave break even for a while to grow again. And then the other half was so happy that we were break even and not willing to go into a risky phase again. So it was a question of the, cap table in the beginning our idea was to find one new lead investor maybe cash us willing to go into a risk phase again uh, and we did an open bidding process and then the offers were so good also the more risk risk investors also took the chance to to that's that was the process and on a personal level i mean this was to when we finally sold the company and after eight years um, of really intense things, <laughs> intense periods, it's also a question of um, how long can you do it in this intensity. Can I ask a personal question about that? Because when um, you look into your profile, like you're like an effort skier, mountain climbing, very outdoorsy. 
And then, but also listening to you, you're like deep in, heads down, always building, grinding. Like, how did you bring these two while building company? Because that's a long time. So um, keeping yourself sane as well. It's a question. Um, and that's so important. And I, these eight years, I, I mean, here in the, yeah, I spoke the, to the, the, the bridge, yeah, there. I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> and more or less for eight years, even is so central and offices by luck have been not far away for nearly eight years. I didn't serve maybe twice. So I started losing too much of actual life and this is a vicious circle or positive if you can really manage work-life balance another buzzword nowadays really good not only from the whole to have everybody live a, a really good life and this is so much more efficient and effective but at that time i really yeah i was was losing this totally this work-life balance and everybody was it was just too much and this is also a sign when you see that you really have to to but change do you think things. it's like a utopia that you can still this... have that because like you were like an avid like in the beginning with the, with the magazine like this was such a big and now i guess is again like such a big part of who you do you think also looking at peers yep. who've been through like a same growth trajectory not the question like can you have it all but maybe do you have to have that other part of your life integrated in like being a CEO so you can run the marathon maybe at that point you might have thought like I'm like it's an open question I don't know the answer but I'm curious what what you think I can for it was a kind of investment you know now I have a much better life because I built and if you ask would tell the same we built this company because it was we couldn't find way of work in other companies you know we are everybody can work from wherever he or she wants and so we are first actually always have been remote first beginning on but now we have built such a strong foundation also with the tools and with our discipline and with the recruiters you know nowadays we are much better to find these people who wanna work the same way we do. I often sometimes, I not sometimes, I often three, four, five hours a day. And that's it because I'm now so super efficient. The team around me is doing the same thing and built this. Now I'm again, yeah, this summer I served a lot. Good for you. (laughs) Because I can, not by being not on the same profession I have been before with work. I would say I'm more efficient today, but this, this was an investment. If you, and nowadays tools and the culture, it's to build kind of such a company today in 2010, but I guess it takes a phase where you cool. really have to. Yeah. And maybe you for you because you've been like uh, you've been around like you've seen, Peak has also been around for a long time. Do you see a change in I don't know like 
that it may be a little bit more balanced or a, a, a little bit more accepted. Uh, it's also like legal. I'm curious if you see a difference throughout the years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I see, I also podcasts and see more and more of the newer companies that are really um, think direction and really, really good in managing their people this way. Where I still don't see it is at the, at the larger corporations. I always have to smile. As I said before, when think they are digital now, they have no idea. Yeah, I partly agree, Patrick, because I agree. I see a lot of companies doing that. We all realize how important it is life, work, balance, right? But I think if you look at uh, truly successful companies, I think the companies that we all know, right? Uh, there was a big discussion, for example, in the Netherlands about Bunk. Probably Anka also read it, right? Ali, the CEO there, which bought three, sorry, which built three unicorns with its own hands. Now working on the third is very rigid about managing his team and fully demanding everything, etc. And I think Tesla, Elon Musk is also known for that. So I think we, I see also other examples. So I see indeed it's shifting. And I think in general, right? I think uh, Anke, it's it's good to indeed have a work a better work life balance, especially on the long run, because eventually it will be really hard for eight or ten years, right? I think that's really be. So I think it's, but I, I, I haven't seen the real success cases yet from that end, right? That's, that's a little bit what I'm seeing. Yeah. Here we are exactly at this question. Indeed. What is success? You know, do you like Elon Musk? He's burning through all his people. Like, so this for me is not successful. Successful is for me sustainable, healthy, work environment and being successful and allowing everybody to thrive and doing their work and their personal development on a very high level. Yeah. That's for me success. It's not in the 160 million euros, two cards or 140. <laughs> success for a different mm -hmm. yeah. definition. Yeah, it's also related today. to, uh, but, 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 uh, by the way, we agree with you, but it's also related to the upgroup of your company. Can we go to that, also to that process, right? Because we, at, at a certain point, you, uh, as you mentioned already, right, you realized that the company uh, uh, would be too small in the long run. So you decided to start for an acquisition and also, as you just mentioned, right, because of the cap table. How did you start with that process? You had, did you approach buyers yourself? Did you get help? Where your sorry and investors are were involved. How did you manage, especially the process? There yeah, we were lucky because we had experience of another funding round before, where we already worked with a finance, a small. This didn't go super well. So, but at that time we were in a super growth phase. So we already were working a lot and very intense. We knew that we need outside help and then our cfo at that time we had a very good one coming by the way from investors so thank you that was actually a real and with this cfo we found we did a sense search invested a lot of time in pitching letting uh finance consultants pitch for us we took a long time and we found a really good one that was fitting to and with whom we wanted to work. So the key learning here is probably you need external help because during this process, 
you need to grow the company because only can't go flat. This acquisition process, you need to grow. And this takes a lot of uh, focus. But on the other, selling a company, again, another full-time job. So uh, you have to, outside help is good, but invest, please, in finding the right one. Um, it needs to fit to your standards, whatever they are. So this is a good investment. And what was time? I said it now three times oh, over and over. But and what, ex what was exactly the role that they took and what you took and what your shell or slash investors took, right? And especially in that exit process, because you, it was key to keep on growing the business. So I did something, but yeah. Yeah, they were extremely helpful getting a good pitch. You know, I can pitch only, but somebody who has pitched so many other companies They know much better what a potential buyer. So with their help, we actually got to know, give to theirs. And this was actually also helpful for growing business. So this is a really good process. And we needed them also to our, our investors, our cap table, because in this process we had, in the end, it was an open bidding process and we had five surprisingly which was good five interested buyers and up group not the one with the highest price tag so but the management team we wanted to go with up, even if they weren't the ones who wanted to pay the most so you can imagine this was not something the investors yeah, were happy about because that's very right and that's also good that you share that we read it also somewhere that you indeed that you decided to go to your management team for not the highest bidder what was the you right to, to go for indeed not the highest bidder as i said to myself we invested so much energy in building company where we love to work and to, to and to because you know, Money is nice to have and it would be stupid to say, I mean, money makes you happy because it buys you stuff. But for us, it was always this workplace we have built that's so, it's still so valuable to us. And with Upgroup, who is uh, employee owned, it's a cooperative, they were somehow, they are different. This core value is the same. For them, it's humans first. Oh. My God, this was from the beginning on. It was a very fitting. Which is also the reason why like, often people leave once uh, exactly. they can. Uh, but it seems that, yeah, yeah. We are still all here. You it's, here. A it's a cooperative, right? Owned by the staff. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Because that's a business model. Sorry, yeah. that's an organization model that you don't see a lot. You see it a lot in farming and in other industries, but not in, let's say, companies where we normally work with. Can you, can you elaborate how that works, right, also for a company? Yeah, yeah, it's a cooperative. Maybe that's important to mention. And it's owned by the French, by all the employees that work in France. And they are also change process because they always, it was a French company and now they have 20 other countries where this and now they need to rethink. Uh, 3000 people work at UP, but only 600 in France. So their biggest is now outside of France and outside of, of the cooperative. So it's also a big thinking going on there, but it's owned by the, by the people who work there and they vote for, they have an election every four years. 
for their council members. It's, it's 14 council members. And then these council members vote the president. So uh, it's very different. And it's, it's also, it's tougher to get hard decisions because, you know, it's everybody's on eye level. But this is also, again, so good for the communication and for the everyday work. Everybody is the same. Like if you're the president or somebody else, speak on the same level because you're all part of the cooperative. And this is a very, that's actually like we manage gifts. I mean, everybody can tell his opinion to everybody else uh, because it's, yeah, that's how you see yeah, how it should be. It's pretty remarkable that you found an acquisition partner that has like a very much like a similar yeah. culture. And I think like in one of your previous podcasts, you said something that, um, about kindness, like um, um, looking at people in a positive way, all way you can. That's one of the first principles of how you work. I guess maybe to start wrapping things up, it has been an incredible journey, I guess um, 12, 13 years in the work, where sometimes it was like a bumpy road with founder split ups, refinancing or doing bridge rounds, getting new investors on the table, being in a position that you've got multiple offers wanting to buy your company and then being in a position to by yourself to choose uh, which party to go with in the long run as well because you didn't want to leave so I guess like for our listeners it's an incredible honest uh, and really insightful story how to grow and exit a company are there any questions that Joanne and I did that you really want to hone into I have I've because I know that uh, it's about exits and I to shine a little light on, on that process, especially because it took us one year and it was remarkable because we, then it's lawyer and up had uh, white and case, which is one of the five uh, lawyers worldwide. And we had a normal, uh, he's all good, but this was just very different level. So what happened was that the part white and case side, they invested two or three months to bring oh, us their yeah, level of communication. So this was an excellent experience. What I want to say is an exit is very different than a round. It's extremely different because I thought, yeah, this is like an dancing round. It's not very different on so many levels. But an exit is also the best learning curve you can do this year. I've gained so much experience and it was so hard because, I mean, we often had calls at 10 or 11 because that's when everybody could find time. And I could say it's a little different because that's how I felt. Tired, it's, it's too, it's uncomfortable. It's so complex. Let's go. And that's at the end. You you show up at 11 o'clock at night. Sales call. And that's for a period of a year. That's what you mentioned, like a year, an acquisition process of a year, which is yeah. not what I expected. Yeah, thanks thanks to our families. <laughs> Nobody got divorced. It's yeah. a miracle. So. It could also blow up, right? <laughs> if you're listening in. Hey, I have one question about... So we read somewhere, because as you mentioned uh, uh, before, we, we prepare our podcast pretty well. We, we, we noticed somewhere, I think the exit price was roughly two, 20 million euros, right? 
where Upgroup bought it for. How did you decide on that price, right? Because you had a lot of shareholders also on your cap table. It's always everybody has his own perspective about the value of the company. I mean, you're running it, but early shareholders and especially later shareholders might have a different perspective. Yeah. How did you decide upon, let's yeah. say, the price to agree on? Because you could, in your case, say no and continue to grow the company, right? So how did you decide on that point? Yeah, that's the reason why we decided at the beginning have an open bidding process, which was a risk because it could have also been that the that the bids were very low or no bids coming in. So it was indicative by the market. All the more or less were then in the same and that's how, and that was also good for the investors because they saw, hey, more or less all the prices are two or millions plus minus, then this cannot yeah. be so wrong. Yeah. That was that was yeah, a very that's a lucky benefit of also having multiple bidders. Yeah. And otherwise it's so super hard, you know, for a tech startup to really find a good value. It's because mm -hmm. what do you base it on? So having an indicative process is really a good elegant way yeah. of solving this. And, and a last question on my end, because uh, also as a founder myself, uh, having a few companies before, I like to give myself something, right? Especially our building a company and selling it right i think it's always good to, to 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 give yourself a gift you have a a very impressive career right from being snowboard teacher having a bar and etc what did you give yourself as this right? what was the gift that you bought for yourself or for your family or somebody else yeah it's okay tesla oh and tesla, that's interesting that's <laughs> that's for another podcast <laughs> but in the end and this sounds now super pathetic, but I really mean it. In the end, the biggest thing for us is, again, that we could develop, we still develop this workplace that we have now, that I'm able to go. I mean, in these eight years, the maximum length of my holiday was one week. And often this, it only was one week per year. So being able now to travel again with my family for three weeks and knowing that this is not on the cost of the company, that it's not growing in this time, but on the contrary, that everybody a gift can take holidays and come back recharged. And in the meantime, also great things happened. That's the best. And that's the best. That's, I would give back my Tesla and everything else uh, for having just this. Seriously. Yeah. This, this is You're so really nice. like a very positive person. Like I think the, the things that you've mentioned before, how you want to build your company is I think how you are as a person, which is so ingrained, I, I guess, in the company culture that you um, set for yourself. So uh, thank you. I guess uh, this is this is it. Thanks. Incredible to uh, to learn about the journey. And thank you for being so open. I guess uh, many good nuggets, no matter where are in their journey. And even some advice for uh, us as investors in that like I think that, like, that's always good to hear <laughs> so for your honesty yeah <laughs> you. yeah thanks Patrick really thank you that was a good you were well good. that's big fun see you next time on the wave in, in Munich <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah that sounds really good ciao 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 Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Big Exit Show. We hope you enjoyed today. If so, please subscribe to our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. 
If you have feedback or suggestions for guests that you want to see on the show, please send us a message to podcast at peak.capital. Thanks again for listening and hope you join us for the next episode.